With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio, with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms, and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to your post-match Raw on AI Pro, podcasting to you from my benighted field here in beautiful rural Ireland. I'm Trev Denny, and joining me to give their immediate reactions to Leicester nil, Liverpool 3 in the Premier League from the King Power Stadium are Dave Hendrick and Harry Sethi. Dave, that was a, a, an interesting watch for a number of reasons. I think possibly the highlight um, was probably some singing-based event, either the incredibly incessant Bobby chant or the bit of uh, political tennis that was going on um, as uh, the scousers were um, um, responding to the uh, awful gang of Tories that are the Leicester fans um, over and back at one point in the first half. Um, and at the end of the day, we got the win that we need. And that's literally all there is to say about this in many ways. Well, do you know what's funny, Trav, is that uh, Harry pointed this out before we went live. There's two chats made for this this conversation. One is the one you made, which you've entitled Bobby Tribute. Yes. The other is the one that I made, which I entitled Enjoy the Championship. You totally, you totally <laughs> wankers, a catch loving wankers or something. Um, yeah, I mean, it couldn't happen to a nicer fan base that they'd mm. find themselves in this position. They're probably. They're probably the fan base I dislike the most of any because at least with Arsenal fans, like, you know, there's, there's, there's history behind why they have arrogance. The same with Chelsea. They've had, you know, a lot of success. City have had a lot of success. United, that's a long term rivalry, but there's a bit of begrudging respect there. And Evertonians obviously are just the other side of the, of the pillow from, the, the scouse side of the Liverpool fan base. But this lot are just, there's, there's nothing likeable about them. There's nothing, you know, redeeming about them. They're just a bunch of Tory pricks and they don't really seem to have any songs other than the Ginny Wijnaldum song that they ripped off to sing for Yuri Telemans and, mm. you know, the usual feed the scousers and all that kind of shite. So, you know, fuck Leicester fans for starters, but this was a, an interesting game, the highlight of which probably was that 10-minute rendition of the Bobby song. Um, but it was a weird game because for 30 minutes, 
we dominated the ball. We had 71% of the possession. And we had three shots with zero on target. In the first 25 minutes, we had one shot with zero on target. So that first 30 minutes was sort of, it was a bit of that kind of pointless possession, that ponderous stuff that we'd seen in recent weeks. And then we came alive for half an hour, the last 15 of the first half, the first 15 of the second half. And then that final 30 minutes was just us kind of seeing out the game in a professional manner. And we had a couple of opportunities that could have led to something. But again, final balls and decisions just weren't great. But I mean, for me, the story of tonight is is the two scousers in the team. Um, Curtis with two goals, Trent with an absolute worldie, just again, loving life in his new position. Uh, I know Mo gets three assists for tonight, but it's an, this is an example of why I don't like assists because the first two are sensational. The third is a nonsense. <laughs> he rolls the ball back. Trent does all the work, but it counts as the same type of assist as that yeah. wonder pass for the first goal. And that's, that's why I don't really like assists. But I mean, we had some some big positives tonight in terms of certain performances. I thought there was a couple that were well off form. Diaz, I thought, was was fairly poor. Gakbo was poor. But, you know, on the flip side to that, Ibu looked monstrous. And I, I want to talk about him in a little bit. Virgil, I thought, was was very Virgil again today. Fab too, Dave. Fab, fab for me, I was, Fab for me was the best player on the pitch. I, I thought he was yeah. brilliant. Yeah. Um, Curtis was excellent. Mo was very good. Trent was very good. You know, there's there's a lot of good performances in there, and we keep winning. It's seven wins in a row, and we've put all the pressure back on United and Newcastle. And we've closed that goal, goal difference gap a little bit on Newcastle. And now if they lose to Brighton on Thursday night, I think they'll they'll crumble because they'll then need to win their last two games. And I know it's Leicester at home, but this will be a Leicester team going there in desperation mode. And then it's a trip to Chelsea, which if they're going there needing a win to get top four, with all that kind of pressure, this is a team of players that have never played in a big pressure game. They don't have that experience. They don't have that, that battle hardened kind of aura about them the way, the way we have. And you're seeing it with us now. And obviously United are in this mix as well. And if they were to slip up at Bournemouth next weekend, would you really trust them to beat Chelsea and Fulham, even though both are at home? I don't know that I trust them. So. I think we're giving ourselves a real fighting chance here. And all we can do is win our last two. And I think we'd all assume we'll go to Southampton, who've already been relegated and win there on the final day. So next weekend against Villa is huge. But all we can do is win our last two. And if we don't get top four off a nine-game win streak with a plus 30 goal difference for the season, that will be a complete aberration because... If you go back over the last 30 plus years, the only two teams that finished plus 30 in the goal column and didn't get top four in the big six major leagues were Fiorentina in 06 07, who got points deducted for Calciopoli, and Arsenal in 16 17, when four other Premier League teams finished with a better goal difference than them. So if we can get to that plus 30 mark, history says we will be top four. 
If we win our last two games, I am now of the belief we'll get top four because I don't trust either Newcastle or United. I don't think either of them are very good. God damn it, Dave. God damn it. <laughs> Just when I thought I was out, Trev. This is, I'm Al Pacino in Donnie yeah. Brasco here. Just when I thought I was out, this gang of lads have pulled me back in. I think that's Michael in Godfather 3, isn't it? Is it Michael and Godfather? Am I messing up my Al Pacino? I think it is. I think I'm, I'm messing yeah. up my Al Pacino moments. I've been watching a lot of Al lately. And <laughs> that, I have that. different things in my head. Well, we, we, that sounds like a buzz in the making. And and and, and Harry, mm. Dave's Dave's uh, upbeat um, in terms of the potential chances. A glance at the table would leave you feeling that sense of giddiness. It's just that there are so few games left for anything to happen. Uh, and the reliance on others uh, to cock up always leaves me sort of queasy. Um, but I can fo- fully follow the, 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 the line of thinking here. Just to get your initial thoughts, and if I can focus them in one particular way, very astutely pointed out by Dave that we were for the first half hour doing that sort of pointless possession thing and it was frustrating and it did feel like the game was in the balance to be honest um, and I've written down maybe twice or three times in that period of time we need to do things faster and then lo and behold a few first time balls in flowing moves and boom back of the net um, very interesting that doesn't make me the most insightful man in the world it's just <laughs> it's just truth about about clock ball it's got to be fast, high tempo, first time passes in, in, in behind and little balls around the corner. And that's how we open up defences. And it was nice to see it actually come to fruition. Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch and those must-have fan threads? Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to AnfieldIndex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. Yeah, for sure. I think it's 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 one of the more comfortable wins we've had a chance to actually talk about this season. It's it's, it's not been a season where there's been plenty of like very comfortable wins, despite some of the scorelines at times. I mean, of course, some of the bigger ones have been fun to talk about, but um, it felt like a very uh, run of the mill uh, could easily have been a two nil could easily have been a five nil but um i thought probably had similar thoughts to yourself and dave in the first first 30 minutes in terms of it being slow a bit ponderous um too many touches on the ball was just hoping we could move it a little bit quicker and actually open them up but it was almost as though we were we were sort of sussing lester out a little bit just seeing just how much punch they did have to uh they, they did have to pack and it was there was some intensity there early on. And of course, I think in different circumstances, if, if you get caught by something in those opening minutes, the crowd is up. It then becomes a really difficult place, uh, a completely different scenario as well, as opposed to sort of a team being booed off um, at halftime and at full time, which I have no idea how that is meant to 
help them mm. in the next couple of games to be honest uh, we were talking about the um the fan base but yeah if in the end it felt quite methodical in terms of sort of how we how we approached it we can use words like composure and things like that because because of, of how it turned out but i do know what you mean those opening 30 minutes it felt a little bit ponderous but you can see that this this side is capable of turning it on a little bit mm. and um there's there's players there that are really growing in confidence and they grew in confidence in the game they, they've grown in confidence over the past few games and they have that flair to unlock a side and yeah i think diaz far from his best gakpo probably far from his best as well but um i, I still thought that you could see when we did make things a little bit quicker a couple quick combinations here and there um leicester finding it hard to live with us uh, and Curtis was a joy, really. Just, just yeah. great, great to see him doing the things that I think we've been praising him for for quite a while, actually. When he has been in the team over the past couple of seasons, uh, where we sort of saw, saw him being molded into this left side of midfield role, where he was doing a lot of the stuff that Ginny got praised for doing um, off the ball and just in terms of retaining it. But actually, starting to see with the you know, more games he plays, the confidence coming back into his game, some of the flair. Is, is is coming back that we know he has so um, to see him get those two goals tonight and put in such a great performance I thought was really was really really encouraging I'm not sure it's encouraging for him as well that he wants to be a part of things um, next mm-hmm. season I think he's I think he's secured that really in terms of yeah these these final games of the season really important for him and he's uh he's going to emerge from it um, I think with a, a pretty certain spot in the squad for for next season well, attacking yeah. midfielder Curtis Jones excelling yeah. when played in an attacking midfield role <laughs> as opposed to the much, much deeper, much more reserved Ginny Wijnaldum role. I mean, mm. if this is something we all called for, for for two years, and it is great to see. But, you know, there's two things that struck me tonight, Trev, because we, especially the two of us, because Harry's that bit younger, we sat and had to watch that entire era of domination by United and the two things they were always always brilliant at that set them apart from everybody else they would win when they played not necessarily badly but you know well below their best and when they got that first goal they would just go for the jugular and there would be five minutes of insane pressure as they hunted that second goal and and I think tonight we saw both things from Liverpool and the, the winning while not playing well has been somewhat of a trademark of this team as well over the Jurgen Klopp era. Like we can all, all remember the great performances, but there's been a lot of those grinded out type of performances as well, where we've won by not playing particularly well, but we had an individual moments of brilliance. But that ability to get the goal and then take advantage of the fact that they're rocking that they're now unsure of themselves and they're now starting to try and, and resettle and reshape themselves and the, their tactical plan is going to have to change because now they're going to have to go and chase the game a bit. It was very clear they came out to try and keep a clean sheet as their first you know point of action, keep a clean sheet. Nil-nil is better than a defeat. Take the nil-nil if you can get it. And when we got that first goal, they clearly had to be to, to reshape, to become a bit more adven- adventurous. And um, before we even let them get into that shape or get into any kind of rhythm, we get that second goal. And then it, that's it. That's get, that's curtains. It's game over from that point. They're not scoring two against us in the form we're in with, with Virgil starting to look a lot more like Virgil. And 
the fella to his right just looking absolutely outrageous. Yeah, and we saw as well uh, one of the early features that was apparent under Klopp was in the press, but hunting the ball in packs and sensing when there's a bit of blood um, and going for it. And we saw fellas closing down as a team uh, all across the pitch, all through the match. I thought it was very heartening. Fab very much leading that. But again, another sign of some sort of renewal and regeneration in the side and getting back to some of the values that we know this uh, group of players have. And to just briefly talk about, well, there's not much point in getting too much into too much detail about it because I think there's very little uh, Klopp was going to do in terms of selection tonight, given the players are available. I do have one question though. Um, based on the subs uh, here in front of me, Kelleher, Gomez, Matip, Simicus, Carvalho, Arthur, Miller, Elliot and Jota, I see no Darwin Nunes. Does anyone know their story there? He has an injured toe, apparently. I see. Okay. Well, apart from that, I think it was fairly clear that he was going to go with the the uh, first 11 that he went with, which uh, was our nominal first choice defence. Uh, Henderson, Fab and Curtis and Salah, Gakpo and Diaz. Um, the latter two in three, I agree with you, Dave, were bang off it tonight in so mm. many ways, in, in a way that was weird almost to watch. Uh, but anyway, that is that, and we'll come to that in the details of the match. But Harry, if I could just talk to you a little bit about this Leicester side briefly, because I know you've obviously um, done rival recall mm-hmm. and, uh, and 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 you you, you you've you've uh, um, you've looked ahead to this, and what strikes me is. Okay, there are some players that are very, very uh, average, but there's a, still a collection and a legacy of the of of a decent squad here, and it seems kind of counterintuitive to see them where they are. And then again, they have to roll out that Evans um, creature <laughs> tonight, uh, so maybe things aren't as as good as they as they should be. They they want Everson, Ricardo. Uh, Face uh, Evans and Castagna. They went with Telemans and Didi, Sumare, um, Madison, Vardy, and Barnes. Now, like I say, there's a lot of good footballers in there. And on their bench tonight, they had Smithy, Sutar, who came on, Christensen, Amarty, Mendy, Pratt, uh, Thomas, who came on, Tete, who came on, and Daka, who came on. And again, there's some talent on that bench too. Um, it seems quite ridiculous that they are where they are and I, I, I didn't get a chance I've, I've been behind everything this week um, because of things going on um, I didn't get a chance to listen to your chat so I'm curious did your Leicester fan was he uh, throwing side eye at Brendan uh, Rodgers and his uh, amazing um, tenure there is that what we're tracing this back to yeah, it was, it was an interesting chat. Yeah, I spoke to Jordan um, Blackwell, who's like the um, the Leicester correspondent for for Leicester Mercury. So he's he's pretty pretty invested in in all things uh, Leicester. And in terms of his his opinion on it, it was it was interesting hearing him and, and, and his opinion. It was more around he felt there was sort of a collective uh, lack of acceptance of the situation that the that they were in. So I think there was he felt a sort of sign that the players thought, well, okay, there's, there's too much talent in this squad for us to be in this situation. Um, and, and that carried through sort of like all through the season as they got further and further 
into this mess. And then there was a brief bright patch just before the World Cup, which he, he thinks saved Roger's job. I think he would have been sacked before then um, if if they hadn't had that very briefest of sort of bright patches before before the World Cup that maybe convinced the owners not to not to make a move at that stage. And then of course they finally get rid of Rogers in in April, I think it was. Um, or maybe actually I'm rereading it, but far too late. And uh, they've just not been able to turn things around. The appointment of Dean Smith, I mean, you can, you can, you can argue whether that's a, a smart one at all, but it, the sense I got was the fans, the players, probably the coaching staff, the owners, uh, none of them realized the, the trouble they were in necessarily, or maybe there was a bit of hubris about, you know, the fact that they couldn't be in a situation like this until it was too late. And I think even now that they are obviously in this situation, you mentioned the talented players they've got there, but I'm not sure there are enough of the, of the players that they would need for a fight like this when they're trying to get themselves out of relegation, lots of talented footballers, but footballers whose contracts are up at the end of the season, footballers who, like are, are likely to move on to better things regardless of what happens um, in terms of uh, Leicester's future in the league. So I, I think I think what you're seeing really on the whole is I, I thought you could see a pretty bad attitude tonight once um, once that second goal did go in, heads really dropped. And I think, yeah, the, the impression I got was rather than pinning it all on Rodgers, and, and look, my opinion is that he's underperformed uh, at Leicester and he was calling for more players and renewal, but actually I thought there was he'd underperformed in terms of getting the most out of these players. I thought, yes, they could have done with some injection and more quality last window, but um, yeah, there's more than more than enough in this side that they shouldn't be anywhere near this uh, situation, to be honest. So I think they've just slipped. They've more or less slept, walked into it, Trev. It, yeah, I think that's fair. It's completely ignored, though, that the reason they needed more players and couldn't afford them is because Rodgers had refused to allow them to sell players for a couple right. of seasons. Telemans should have been sold. Ndidi should have been sold. They had big offers on both of them. They had a big offer from on Madison from Spurs. And Rodgers convinced the board not to sell them. And because of Rodgers and the promises that he was making the board, that club ran well beyond its means for a number of years. Their, their wage bill was something like 115% of turnover. Like they were spending more just on wages than the club was bringing in, which had to be rectified at some point. Unfortunately, it had to be rectified by selling Fafana in the summer and just bringing in Woot Faze. But then in January, he's given money to spend. He goes and buys a young left back who's a very promising player, but they already had a very promising young left back at the club. And he went and bought a big donkey at centre-back when the big donkey he bought 18 months previously had flopped and he just went and bought the same player again. Harry Souter is just Yannick Vestergaard with a Scottish accent and an Australian background. Like, I mean, Rodgers is the, is the reason they're going down. This sits squarely on his shoulders. This is his team to a man. And every single thing that we experience as Liverpool fans with him and that Celtic fans experience as well. Every defender that works under him gets worse. He never figures out how to set up a defence. His teams cannot defend set pieces to save their fucking lives. And his eye for talent and his recruitment is an abomination. And if you go back, and I did it on two-footed the other day, if you go back over the players he signed at Leicester, like, it's, it's fairly shambolic what he's done there. 
the amount of money he spent. And you look at players like Pats and Daka and Bubakari Samari, who were very promising players and, and very good players at the previous clubs. Both of them came in under him and he misused them, didn't develop them, and then rubbished them and binned them off. Samari wasn't even going to get a shirt number for this year until Rogers couldn't bring anyone else in and had to give him a shirt number because he had to register him because Rogers didn't want to register him. That's his big money signing and he didn't want to register him. So when people say, oh, you know, it's it's not all on Brendan, it is on Brendan. It is on Brendan because he's been given free reign at that club. But the bottom line is his time at Leicester contains bottling top four in the most spectacular fashion possible. And I don't want to hear about that being overachieving. The team he had there in those two seasons, considering what went on in the rest of the league, was more than good enough for top four. The Leicester team under Rodgers in uh, 1920 and 2021 was a significantly better team than this Newcastle team that currently sit third in the Premier League. Significantly better. So I don't want to hear that he overachieved. He won the FA Cup. Congratulations. You can put that on your CV next year, promotion with Swansea. But they waited too long to sack him, and that's why they're going down. None of this sits on Dean Smith, even though he was a poor appointment. The uh, the bottling of the top four, ironically, is uh, the little sort of bastion of hope that we're all hanging on to, and we're hoping that we'll see a repeat of same from one of our two um uh, rivals there in Newcastle and Manchester United and, and Dave if we just look at the opening part of this game uh, together we can uh, get straight through a lot of bits and bobs little uh, um, passing note there about Craig Pawson who um, I I thought was low key awful uh, on, on the night again it seems like I just want to talk bad badly about um, about referees but I, I, I see nothing to admire in this guy either and he is Ultimately, despite the fact that he, he might be sort of lumbering around there in better nick than an awful lot of these guys, um, an absolute, to use a technical term, fanny when it comes to it. Because if Johnny Evans came out wagging his finger and shouting with the veins popping in his neck the way, at me the way he did at Craig Pawson, Johnny Evans wouldn't be a very happy lad and he'd be picking his... Uh, teeth up off the floor because I don't understand how in the name of God a referee can tolerate that kind of nonsense in his face and not at least push back a bit or threaten a yellow card or something. Well, I've, I, I, it's it's the senior player rule, Trev. If, if you're an older player who's been in the league a long time, you get away with this type of stuff. We have two lads in our team that get away with it all the time. Oh, that's Everton true. Milner give referees absolute pelters. And never, ever get questioned on it by officials. Never. It's it just, and you can look all around the league. Any older, generally British player who's been in the league a long time does just get that little bit of extra leeway to tell referees what they think of them. And uh, look, I, I, I kind of felt for Johnny Evans in that incident because he did get the ball, but it's also a foul. So, you know, I can see why he's frustrated because in his mind, he got the ball. He can't see it the way Paulson can see it. So Paulson has seen that it's a foul. All Evans knows is he's gone in for tackle and got the ball. So I do kind of see his point. But like, again, like you, that's it is a very soft way to referee it. But I think that's just 
kind of the mandate through all of these guys. And I think that's why you end up having to talk about them week in, week out. All of the referees are soft. They allow just- players to try. Imagine, remember Kalini or Kalina when he was in his pomp. And imagine some sap like Johnny Evans, whose career highlight has been a squad player at Manchester United, comes up and starts screaming in his face. Polina would be there, the veins in his forehead would be bulging, the eyes would be popping out of the sockets, his head would be gleaming, and he would just <laughs> flitter him. He wouldn't need to knock his teeth out. He would just flitter him into a million pieces. Hello, I'm here to annoy you. I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL Index. We don't just have the Anfield Index stuff. We've got EPL Index as well, which covers the entirety of the Premier League. And we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a tad predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa. He does Anfield Index. He presents a tad predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL roundtable there every week after the Premier League match week. So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye. Yeah, I, it, it, it's it's I just think it makes a farce of all the Klopp discussion um, that was going on recently. When you see the ferocity and the and the rage that he's 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 coming at him with, it's it's just it, it just made a farce of the whole uh, nonsense Klopp chat. Anyway, to get the game going, yeah, that opening period uh, there was an early free kick. It kind of drifted across the face of our goal. Ali kind of half came for it. I was. A little bit nervous at that stage. They were definitely the more positive and upbeat. Their crowd was really up for it in that opening period, eight to ten minutes. And in fact, they fashioned the first chance of note. It's uh, 11 minutes. Madison plays a ball into Barnes. He slides in Vardy. Uh, and Ali smothers uh, the effort at his feet. We saw a nice ball by Cody into Trent at 16, which led to a corner. We got nothing from it. And at that point, then, we get the the interesting over and back uh, te- tennis uh, chanting um, from feed the Scousers to fuck the Tories to, you know, sign on to Maggie's in the mud, God save the King. <laughs> Andrews and nonce. I heard at one stage as well. I mean, they're all, they were all at it. And I, I thought hats off to the traveling cop who I think that's the most impressive away mm. fan display I've heard all season from any crowd. There was literally nothing to that lot at all. They were silenced and it was just our lot having the time of their lives. Um, we are at this stage, Dave, in the opening 20 minutes, just doing everything too slow. But in that period, you could see one good feature, which was getting the foot in, closing down, doing really well. Fab very much leading that. So just if we take it up to that about 27, 28 minutes, and then I'll go from that to to through the last part of the half with Harry. Um, What did you make of of the way we started? Because... I, I know you're not as down on it as I think myself uh, as 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 I was, but it it, it felt a little bit in the balance, and it it, I don't think it, you know. And it didn't need to, is the thing. Like we've 
we've done these for every game of this new shape, and this is one of the kind of notable things that we've had with this shape is we do have long periods of what I would call sterile possession where you have all the ball and you just don't fashion any real chances. And, you know, it, it, that just kind of the pattern the game was falling into. But as you said, like they had looked a little bit more dangerous in the, in the little moments that they had because they had that pace on the break with Vardy and with, with Harvey Barnes and obviously Madison and, and Tielemans are good passers of the ball. So they were, they were somewhat of a threat. But as we sort of took more control of the game and, and started playing the game at not necessarily the pace we wanted to play, but the pace we were playing the game at, it did just sort of push them back and push them back and push them back. And maybe the instruction from Jürgen and Linders before the game was, look, they're going to come out and fly at you for the first 15 to 20 minutes. So just manage your way through that. Get through that first 15 to 20 minutes and then they'll run out of steam because they're just not very good. And that is basically what happened. Once they had that, that Vardy chance that you, you mentioned, they didn't really threaten at all. And I know it down here, 25 minutes into the game, 71% possession, one shot, one shot for Liverpool, zero on target, one shot for them, one on target. And that was it. That was the first 25 minutes. Nothing really yeah. happened. Um, yeah. Diaz, Diaz looked unusually hesitant and his decision making was off. And if you remember when we first signed him, Trev, the one thing me and you kept going back to was this guy's decision making is really, really good. And I thought the same was true of Cody. Hesitant, poor decision making. And when two thirds of your front three are, are having rough games. Now, there was moments where Cody did really well. But when two of your front three aren't playing particularly well, it does make it very difficult in, in this kind of system where Henderson's not a creative player. He's not going to get you many goals. And Curtis is still kind of growing into the role. Like he's, he's far from the finished product. Like he's still very, very young in footballing terms. Like I know people will say, Oh, well, Curtis Jones is 22 and this is the first decent run that he's had at Liverpool. Like that's fair enough. But like you have to factor in that before tonight he played just over a thousand minutes this season. Harvey Elliott had played like well over two times that this season. And it's not like Curtis played a load last season either. You know, last season he was in and around that kind of figure as well. I think he was 1500 minutes. Jacob Ramsey's a year younger than Curtis and has played probably double, triple the amount of minutes in the league. So, you know, Curtis still has a lot of developing to do and, and that will come with time. But you can't put too much in his shoulders in terms of that creative burden. So you are heavily reliant on the front three. And if two of them just aren't at the races on the day, it, it can be very difficult to break teams down, especially when, for whatever reason, you know, sometimes teams turn up and bad players just play really well. You know, bad defenders will have an absolutely fantastic game because somewhere deep in the recesses of their career, they were a really good player. You know, all of these guys got to this level because they're very, very good. Like the worst guy in the Premier League, whoever you think it is, I'll, I'll put forward the name of Luke Ayling. Luke Ayling is so much better than the best guy that played in your Sunday League team 
or at your school or whatever else. Like that's the level we're talking about. The worst player in the league is 15 times better than the best guy you played with in school or in your Sunday league team. So, you know, they are capable. And, and there was the Johnny Evans factory comes back. He brings organization. The defense at least seemed like a real defense in that early stage. We didn't trouble the goalkeeper. So, you know, the fact that he's one of the worst goalkeepers in the league wasn't to be exposed at that point. But things improved. Things improved, and that's all that really matters. Well, he certainly did, Harry, and it was pretty much on the half-hour mark. Uh, and the guys who were perhaps having rugby enough games were involved in the two big moments uh, in this latter part of the first half. The tempo started to build a bit on 29. We saw Robbo sliding a ball down the line to Luis Diaz. He hit an effort wide of the near post. It was poor and a poor decision because he had lads inside him and the shot wasn't really on. But a minute later then, again, more good play uh, by Curtis Jones. Um, this time led to Fabinho hitting a, a long ranger over the top from outside the box. And then only two minutes later, Curtis has us ahead. Um, and I'm going to talk about both of them and a chance that follows afterwards. And then you can come in and start um, um, opining away. The first of the goals on 32 minutes um, was very interesting. Um, it, Diaz gets onto a long ball from Ali. Uh, he's running in from left to right and he heads it into the path of Henderson, who takes it down well and plays it on to Mo Salah. His first time in swinging cross from the left is swept home by Curtis, who has arrived brilliantly, just like you want your midfielders to arrive in the box at that moment. It's really, really clever play all round, including the run and the finish from Curtis. Of course, it went to VAR. Uh, There was a horrible wait and eventually it's awarded only three minutes later Harry is the same man again putting this 2-0 up this one also went to VAR another lovely move ended with Cody Gakpo playing in Mo Salah his lovely first time ball fizzed into the feet of Curtis Jones takes a touch swivels hits a very powerful half volley finish past the keeper uh, and a beautiful goal, one of those goals that everyone lo- loves to score and enjoys scoring, you know, anything that has a bit of air in it and a bit of power. And actually, within two more minutes, we should have been three up because it was another lovely flowing move. This one started by a Fabinho foot in around the midfield area um, and ended with a Cody Gakpo shot being saved. I think Mo had played him in again and there were several reds bearing down on goal and we looked very, very threatening. Yeah. Um, and it just all comes back to that thing where we started to do things at a quicker tempo and it really did pay off. Absolutely. No, I, I, I think in terms of, I mean, I'm no surprise to see Salah involved again. And yeah, I take Dave's point about that final, that final assist that he's got credited today. But the first two are you know, pretty exceptional and like, things that we've seen from him on a regular basis, really. Again, just don't think he gets the, the credit he deserves for the all round nature of his game. And he's, he's, he's still there sprinting back to, to help defend when he can on occasion as well. So the first one, I, I think the aspect of it that I enjoyed the most, Chev, is, is, is what you were talking about there, about the midfielder arriving. Uh, and you could just see as the ball sort of floated towards the far post, 
a, a slow, inevitable <laughs> arrival of Gertis, like I've <laughs> yeah. seen so many times run through our midfield this season, to be honest. Uh, sort of a slow, inevitable arrival. And he's there and saw him score a goal at the far post um, not long ago as well. And it's, it's, I wouldn't say it's an easy finish. I think it's actually a, a really well executed finish there to, to take that first time and guide it the way in which he does. Um, it is again gives you sort of an illustration as to sort of the talent the kid has and and then also yeah the the second finish even more of that flair like uh, i think i've seen probably seen quite a few of those finishes when he was in the uh in the academy and it's a lovely ball from salah again first time ball that unlocks defenses yes both decisions are quite quite tight for well, the first one wasn't too tight, but the second one's um, much closer when it comes to maybe whether it's going to be offside or not. Um, and it's the hope that kills you. But the, but the, that actual finish was yeah effortless at times. That's a player in a real sort of strong vein of confidence there from like playing regularly, feeling more at home in the role that he's been given in the side. Clearly, there's confidence in him. The manager's telling him that he's doing what he wants to see. Uh, and I think we've all discussed, I think he's probably been the most consistent midfield performer that we've had uh, like, over the last couple of months. I mean, I, I think this, this season's been a season where we focused really heavily on the midfield and the lack of consistency there. Curtis, since he's come in, has been, been a breath of fresh air in terms of sort of the work he's put in and to see him get those goals was was lovely. I think we were used to seeing another scouser be the one who pops up in um, positions where he can maybe score or affect the game in terms of an assist. So to see um, all scousers today on the score sheet and um, Curtis look so look so strong, it was um, yeah, it was really really encouraging. And I think it made me think a little bit about yeah, we took some time to settle into this game, but. As the confidence grows with this shape, as we get a few new parts to to improve the performance of it, um, some more talented additions to to the midfield rotation as well, I I, I can see us sustaining these periods uh, of intensity of this sort of like, a, yeah. like quicker pace of football for longer, and then and then if we do that and we and we score a, a good few goals, I, I really don't mind the sterile position uh, possession. We saw that when we needed it in the season where we won the league, uh, you know, we'd very often be in the lead uh, and just decide, well, actually, you know what, we'll, we'll go on 60% energy here for the last 20 minutes. Um, and there was lots of sterile position. But yeah, I, I, I think we can get there um, with the system if it's, if it's the one we're going to persist with. Yeah, hopefully. I, 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 I found myself having similar thoughts. On it. I, I hope that that is the case. It certainly um, seems like it's a distinct possibility. And we, we, we end the half with that lot booing their, their, their team off. As, yeah. as, as you said, Harry, it's, 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 it's a strange thing. I mean, quite what they expect um, their, their players to do uh, in the wake of that is, is I, I don't like, they're, they're really, really terrible set of lads. I have to say uh, it's, it, it's, 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 um, it's, it's a very bizarre sort of situation. I don't know enough about the situation, but again, just to, to throw this one at you, is there a disillusionment there with the overall setup as well amongst the fans? Are they are they a bit uh, antsy at their owners as well? Is is it possible it was them they were booing? I, I'm just at a loss here. No, that, that's not that's not the impression I got when I was speaking to Jordan. I I, I think there's just a resignation around it. I, I 
I don't, I don't really understand booing your your team off in a situation like this, to be honest. I mean, I, it's, Leicester are not the only club I've seen do it. Let's be fair to them. I mean, we've seen other clubs do this when their teams aren't performing very well as well. And it, it, I've never liked it because it, it, it does strike of entitlement a little bit in that you're you're you just think that you're entitled to you know, have all good times sometimes there are going to be these moments where the team does need you to to lift them through difficult patches or give them a reason to to come out in the second half and and try again and so i, I don't really see what booing them off um for you know, like um for that performance was going to do I don't um, think it's the performance. I think it's the effort levels. The effort levels, yeah. Because maybe. I've seen Leicester, because on, on the EPL Index account follows a number of Leicester fans, so I do often just check in and see what they're what they're saying. And I think it is the effort levels. I think there's just a, a feeling that the players might have already given up and accepted the fact that they're going down. And there's the... The fact that Tielemans has made it clear he's leaving in the summer, Sunchu's leaving in the summer, I know he wasn't playing, but he's leaving as well. They're both going on freeze. There's been a lot of talk around James Madison for the last 12 to 18 months, and there's been a lot of talk about Harvey Barnes of late as well. So I think Leicester fans are just fed up and they think maybe these players aren't committed to the club. Uh, I will say on the owners, I have seen a few people talk about the ownership situation. Now, the, the former owner, the gentleman that died in the in the helicopter accident, they adored him. And he was a big proponent of, you know, pushing Leicester to be a Champions League club and seemed willing to spend whatever it is that was, was needed. His son has taken over the running and they, they love him as well. He was the one that pushed the father to go and, and actually buy the club in the first place. But there is a feeling that under him, they're a little bit less gung-ho about how they go about things, about what they're willing to spend on players and on wages and stuff. So I don't I don't think there's any sort of animosity towards the owners, but I don't think they're as confident in the ownership now being willing to do what's necessary or what, or sorry, being willing to do what the fans view as necessary to right the ship. I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. <laughs> this is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com. Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted, but I can now access all the websites I want, whenever I want, and do so from absolutely anywhere. As a Liverpool fan, I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My Liberty Shield VPN makes sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super fast streaming speed throughout that match. You can get connected right now with their software package, which includes a 48-hour no-obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac and Android TV. Or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre-configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN, making it the perfect solution for smart TVs, mag boxes and games consoles. Visit LibertyShield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Um the second half, Dave, is interesting. We'll, we'll, we'll take a, a good run at this and all the way up to Trent's goal because 
the first thing of note really is Madison was in offside, but in on Ali nonetheless from a big hoof ball forward. Uh, Ali did enough anyway in the end. Uh, I think Madison's touch could have been better. Um, we started to get into the game a little bit, put nice pressure on them on, on, on a, the 50 minute mark for like, you know, two minutes solid of just ball retention in their half and looking dangerous. And then they broke away, and on 51 minutes, Ali had to tip a ball uh, out of the, uh, 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 basically near the top corner. Harvey Barnes had a curled effort after we let them in way too easily. That led to a corner from which nothing uh, came. Uh, yellow card for Ricardo in 52 minutes, holding back Curtis. And in 53, Mo has an absolutely outrageously awful effort, well over uh, from the standard Mo position where he cuts in and does that curl shot. But it was, it was just wagging. 53 minutes, um, Louis, uh, Luis Diaz took the ball down to the byline, rolled over a gorgeous inviting ball to literally nobody. Um, I thought there was a moment soon after that where Ibu Kanate was 1v1 with Vardy and I thought it was just magic to watch the big man. He he absolutely ragdolled poor little Vardy and came away with the ball. Um, just a tremendous use of that physique that he's got and that ability to do the Fabinho telescopic leg stick mm. out and, 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 and come away in possession. You know, it might look a bit um, slapdash, harem, scarem, but he comes away with the ball and he makes contact with the ball um, for the most part. It's at that stage that they bring on Tete and Daka for Barnes and Ndidi and the Bobby song has been rattling around the stadium for about 10 minutes solid. Mm. 67 minutes they bring on Thomas for Ricardo. 67 minutes Mo gets another cider cutting in this time and shooting central and it's saved. And now with the Bobby song absolutely pounding around the place for what must be the longest time I've ever heard a song, a tribute song sang, certainly by an away crowd. Um, that and certainly for a player that wasn't involved. For a player who wasn't involved, you're sitting at the bench, that man is so beloved, it's unbelievable. Um, it's at that point that the aforementioned uh, Evans, uh, whose tackle you were talking about, uh, occurs and Pawson gives the free kick on just onto the left of the D um, for a foul on Henderson, what as he deemed it. Um, now, that is the free kick which leads to the goal uh, an absolute wonder hit after Moe's uh, as you say spectacular assist where he basically rolls the ball to base with what backwards into his path it's clever it's really it's a well simple but clever well worked free kick and the execution of it is absolute perfection and I think a lot of people are starting to get very excited at seeing what um, Trent could do for a full season what numbers he could ramp up for a full season in this position because at this point you have to remember there have been some outrageous passes in this game from Trent it's little lofted balls and little dinked balls and little balls around the corner and diags and all that kind of stuff he is an absolute phenom when it comes to this type of thing and I, I, I am actually excited to see him develop further and put together a full season's worth of numbers uh, to see what it looks like. Cause you know, on the whole, you'd have to say it, it's, it's been very, very successful in the main, this, uh, this change. It has, I mean, 
I've seen some people, including some connected to AI, say, well, why don't we just buy a right back and move Trent into midfield permanently? And look, there is some merit in that that view, I think. But the reason Trent gets so much time and space in this current hybrid role is that because when the midfield lines up, it's Henderson, Fabinho and Curtis. And when Henderson pushes forward, his man drops with him. And when Trent comes narrow, his man is not coming narrow with them. So Harvey Barnes is their starting left winger. But he's not following Trent into central areas. He's holding the width. So Trent is like a, is basically playing as a free man in midfield. And that's part of why this has been so successful. If you take that away, if you move Trent into a starting midfield role, he's going to be easier for the opposition to pick up and just assign someone to stopping in play. But... What I really liked about Trent tonight, Trev, wasn't, it wasn't any of this spectacular stuff. It was the fact that he held himself back from a lot of that. Because in the first few games, when he played this role, it was almost like he thought, you know what, I'm just going to show everybody what I can do from here. And every pass is going to be a home run. And today, I just thought we saw a mature performance where when the game just needed to be ticked over, he just kept things ticking over. He just kept it simple. He picked the right decision every single time. And, and that's when he can do that and balance that with the more spectacular stuff that we know he's capable of. I, I do think that's where you get the full experience from Trent. The free kick is an absolute wonder strike. Like you could put two goalkeepers in there and they're not saving that. And, and the thing with Trent is it's not just the accuracy. It's the power. Like there's real venom in that shot. That ball is still picking up speed when it hits the net. Uh, I will give credit to uh, Mr. Everson in goal, who at least dived towards the ball like a professional goalkeeper, unlike old tiny arms who dove at Gundogan's <laughs> free kick yesterday. You know when you're a kid and you're kicking ball in the garden with your parents and like your mum goes in goal, but she doesn't really know what she's doing, but she'll go in goal because she just wants to be involved. That's what it looked like. It looked like someone's mum diving to save a shot, no coordination, <laughs> fear of getting hurt, and hoping that the ball doesn't accidentally hit her. That's basically what Jordan Pickford did. Um, absolutely shocking. So credit to uh, to Daniel Everson. At least at least you look like an actual goalkeeper diving at that, but you could still be diving, son, and you're not saving it. Uh, just on that, though, that is the, the two scousers in the team getting all three goals today. That is the first time a pair of Scousers have scored in the same Premier League game for Liverpool since Fowler and Gerrard versus Sheffield United in February of 2007. Wow. Uh, obviously, before that, there will have been other Gerrard-Fowler games, and before that, there'll have been uh, Fowler-McManaman games um, in, in their plenty. Uh, before anyone suggests it, Michael Owen is not a Scouser. Michael Owen is from Chester, which basically means he's Welsh, because Chester is closer to Wrexham than it is to Liverpool. It's right on the Welsh border. And he went to school in Wales. So Michael Owen is more Welsh than he is Scouse. Anyway, that's enough Michael Owen slander. Uh, Curtis Jones was also the first Liverpool midfielder to score twice in the first half of a Premier League game since Steven Gerrard did it in 2015, also against Leicester. That was obviously Stevie's last season with us. So... Uh, those stats come courtesy of, of uh, Michael Reed at Michael underscore Reed 11 
who works for Opta. They're they're quite interesting to note. Um, if I can just rewind a little bit though, Trev, uh, before you get to the end of the game with Harry, um, you mentioned Ibu and that one v one with um with Vardy and. Jamie Vardy has made a living of running off the shoulder of defenders. Like, in terms of the technical level to his game, Jamie Vardy is quite limited. But he has an incredible burst of speed, and he's brilliant once he gets into 1v1 situations. He strikes the ball very cleanly. He makes good decisions. He's made a great career for himself uh, at doing these things, considering where he was Early in his career, like at the age of 24, 25, he's still playing, you know, League Two football. Um, and Ibu, now I know it's the older version of Vardy, but Ibu just swallowed him up there and made him look really poor. And I was watching Ibu today and I've been watching him for the last few games and, and how he's adapting to the, this new position. And I, I, I don't think people fully grasp just how special this kid is because I see people doing these combined 11s of, you know, Liverpool and other teams. And I saw, see, like, I saw a Liverpool Arsenal one done by a Liverpool fan that had William Saliba over Ibu Kanate. And I just, I can't wrap my head around how it is that this guy seems to be underappreciated. I think it's because the guy next to him is the best centre-back the Premier League has ever seen. And therefore, everyone else is just sort of a little mark below what we know Virgil to be. Because I think if Ibu arrives to join a centre-back core of Matip, Gomez and Lovren, and let's say Ragnar Klavan's still kicking around, I think we're fawning over him for what he actually is, which is one of the very best centre-backs in Europe. He reminds me so much of Yapstam. Do you remember when Yapstam came to United and he was just enormous and he was super quick and super strong and he didn't look like he was the most coordinated, but he was actually really coordinated. And that's who Ibu reminds me of, this massive, massive building-sized human being that is lightning quick, strong as an ox, very comfortable on the ball, Looks like he's a little Bambi on ice when dribbling out with the ball, but everything is in complete control. Like, he knows exactly what he's doing. He is phenomenally good. And we paid £36 million for this gentleman, who's going to be with us hopefully for the next 10 years or more. He is absolutely outstanding. In every single aspect, there is not one weakness to his game. And if there is even a slight area where he's not already superb, he'll only turn 24 in a couple of weeks. Like, he's not even scratching the surface yet. Centre-backs don't peak till a little bit later because they generally don't get started till a little bit later. Later, This guy is unbelievably good. Unbelievably good. And he's ours. And we've got him and the fella next to him and they will be the foundation, along with Allison, of this next great Liverpool team. And they are the two main reasons we can play this system, because they're so big, so strong and so fast that they can cover enormous amounts of ground against really good, really quick players. 
We just have to hope that he stays robust in terms yeah, of the, that's the one now. The injuries. Yeah, yeah, that's the only one. Um Harry, we're gonna start taking this home, I think, man, because in terms of what happens for the rest of the game, mm. there are a couple of attempts for the Reds. We bring on Jota and Jim Milner on seventy three for Diaz and Henderson and Curtis does play in Mo Salah, um, who's closed down in seventy five minutes. The ball broke to the old Jota who was bearing down and goal and Craig Pawson blew the whistle for some reason um, I just felt like oh Jesus we can't we better give these lads a break 78 minutes it was Cody playing in Mo Salah a really good ball by Cody Gakpo Mo's in <laughs> he contrives to miss uh, in the most un-Salah fashion uh, I've, I've ever seen we bring on Fabio Carvalho for Curtis Jones on 83 and Harvey for Salah on 86 and there was a sort of a half tame half volley um, by Vardy on 87 and uh, they bring on Suter for Evans on 88 but honestly uh, and, and a good Jota run and pull back on, on the 91st minute but the game was petered out it was, it was absolutely dead there was no coming back really for them it was just going to be a goal would be would have just ruined uh, my happiness because I am now so painfully aware of how much Ali enjoys his clean sheets and uh, that's 101 now so let's keep that going it was that was all I wanted for those guys who played very well defensively was to keep that clean sheet so if there's anything obviously from that period of game you want to talk about please do but otherwise maybe you might start taking us home with your wrap-up thoughts about this because uh, I know uh, the man the other end of the line is, is anxious to get uh, away as quickly as possible so we'll try and we'll try and wrap it here and just your final thoughts and, and anything from the the end of the game and then of course please do let us know what you've got coming up in the week of course yeah just going back to that trend free kick a little bit um, there was uh, some quotes from Klopp after the game that I quite enjoyed where he's saying that we should have scored from this free kick routine three times this season but we defended it ourselves I won't mention the name of who you can watch it on YouTube so <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that opportunity where Hendo obviously stops trying to yeah, kick from yeah. that end. so it's, it's, it's not been forgotten but it's clearly a routine and it's it reminded me of the goal he scored against Chelsea a few seasons ago right this uh, this move where they just slightly improved the angle for him and he really does fizz it and you're watching it on slow motion and yeah we can talk about Pickford we could talk about other goalkeepers but it, it's, it's practically unsavable given sort of where it ends up in the net and the speed and power that it's struck with so it's uh yeah it was wonderful to see him get that goal to cap the performance that he's had and I think it was also fun just to see sort of the performance he had whilst Gareth Southgate sat there in the stands uh watching uh, and again, I think it should be challenged more often. The fact that he's incapable of finding a way to get a talent like this into into his England side. So, um, but again, long may that continue in terms of the freshness that Trent is uh, probably going to sort of benefit from from uh, from from not having that. And then you mentioned Ali, and uh, just seen some amazing stuff on on Ali uh, that came out after the game and the fact that he's I think he's currently second in the the league in terms of clean sheets. He's got 14 clean sheets. I think the the goalkeeper above him is actually remarkably is uh, De Gea on 16 at the moment. So it's, yeah, it's likely not going to get that golden glove. But um, I think Andrew Beasley was saying the fact that it's possible, considering we're a team that's conceded 96 big chances this yeah. season, says something. And then Dan Kennett sort of jumped in as well to say that uh, when you actually look at it, the guy has saved half 
of the big chances that he's uh, he's faced on target this season. So he's at 64, 32 of them have been saved. Um, it's just it's just remarkable. I mean, I it think, just shows though that the Golden Gloves should not be awarded for clean sheets. Exactly. There's yeah. nobody could argue David de Gea. Forget having a better season than Ali. He hasn't even had a good season. He's mm. been objectively poor this season. Ali has been outstanding. It really should be more of a combination of, you know, yeah. save percentage, big save percentage, goals conceded per game, things like this, rather than clean sheets. Because <clears throat> we remember watching Simon Mignolet be in the running for the Golden Glove on more than one occasion, mm. despite being utter dog shit and conceding 40-odd goals a season. No, exactly. And, and I think there's the, the, you think about how much Ali helps us beyond just the actual sort of saving that he does. Of course, does one his ability in 1v1s is is huge for us. But I mean, some of the sweeping that he's doing today that we see yeah, him do so yeah, comfortably. Yeah. Uh, and it has gone to a stage where I'm no longer nervous about him trying to uh, outpace a striker to head the ball away. And he's getting to the stage where he's not just clearing it. He's, he is, he is trying to set up a pass with those clearances as well. And I think he did that, did that today pretty well as well. But I think, um, he's like unquestionably for me, obviously the, the player of the season. And I hope he gets uh, all the credit he deserves. And then the only other thing I wanted to talk about, Trevor, was just really I completely agree with sort of Canate's performance. I thought Virgil's, um, much more intense um, than we've seen in sort of previous games. Really happy to see him um, get back to this level. But uh, yeah, I thought the Bobby the Bobby serenading was very definitely emotional. I think it's you could see he was struggling there a little bit at the end after the game where the entire squad sort of leads him up to the to the away yeah. pot to, to get yeah. serenaded and even you know, even like the likes of Darwin and the players who've arrived Gakpo who's arrived re- recently. You can see this guy's just beloved in the squad. So I think it's I'm really, really hoping he's going to be able to play some part, even if it's just like jogging around um, the pitch uh, for a small cameo um, in that final home game of the season. But thought, yeah, the, the fact that he was serenaded for about 12 or so minutes and it only ends when we score a goal and then it happens and continues after the game. Just really, really lovely to see him get that, you know, level of affection, which is completely deserved. Absolutely. And re- with regards to the week coming up, I presume there'll be a rivalry con for that Aston Villa game. There, yeah, there will be. And I think, I think like both of you were saying, that that's the tricky one. That That's the one where you, you've seen the improvement they've had since uh, since Emery's come in. So, yeah, there'll be a part ahead of that game just to look into what the diving into the detail about, about that improvement, j- just what tweaks he's made to, to shore them up and get them performing so well. And, yeah, how we think we'll fare against them uh, in the next game. Fantastic. Cheers, Harry. And Dave, to wrap up the show then, same from you, last thoughts and any plugs? Stunned to silence. Sorry. Um, Trent this season, basically, you know, 37 and a half games as a more orthodox right back or, or a Trent style right back. Uh, three goals, three assists. Seven and a half games in this new role, a goal and six assists. So as much as I don't really value assists all that much, he is showing a lot more in terms of the creativity and what he's capable of. Uh, the Curtis first goal reminded me a lot of Curtis's goal against Spurs, that same type of ball, but it was Mo rather than Trent to the back post and Curtis just ghosting in completely unmarked and a brilliant first time finish. And, 
you know, the, the technical ability to finish like that on his weak foot first time is, is really high. I actually think his second goal is the goal of the night. I know Trent's will get all the plaudits because goals like that always do, but the technique on Curtis's first goal, or sorry, Curtis's second goal, to shoot across his body and whip it into that far corner like that, like that's that's really high-level stuff. And I, it's just great to see him finally getting his run, getting the run in the team that he deserved. Because with respect to Harvey Elliott, Harvey put in a lot of nothing performances this season and didn't really show anything to warrant a spot in the team. But Curtison's coming in against Chelsea. I think this nine-game run that it is now um, is the best run any of our midfielders, bar an early season run from Thiago, have had all season. I think Curtis has been really, really good in this run. You know, on and off the ball, he's just showing everything we want him to show. He's playing more on instinct as well in that kind of more advanced position. He's able to open up the, the skill set a lot more and, and show why he was so highly regarded as a young player coming through the academy. Uh, three goals and an assist now for him in this winning run. And I think he's made a real case that, you know, next season, the hope is it's a new starting midfield. But you're going to have two new number eights and Curtis then right there is the third number eight capable of playing either slot. And then you'll have Thiago and Henderson and whoever else is there. And then I think Fabinho is also showing that if he's managed a lot better next season, if he's not forced to play every game and run into the ground doing other people's running, he can be a really valuable player as well because he cannot not only be the backup in his current role, but I could see Fabinho playing the Trent role a little bit because he's played right back quite a bit in his career. And obviously, he's more than comfortable in midfield. He's good on the ball. He's a, he's a clever passer, and he's got a bit of inventiveness to his passing. So he can be really useful as the third one in those two deeper midfield roles. So, you know, th- these are real promising things. And I think there's a lot that we can take from, from this run. We just need to keep it going. Simple as that. Just keep it going. Get through these last two games. The, the Villa one, as mentioned, is, is the tough one. They're, they're so so much more imp- so much improved under Unai Emery from where they were under Gerard. It, it's actually it's incredible that it's the same group of players. They were a relegation forum team under under Gerard, and I'm not sure if they're still if this is still the case. But prior to the, the visit to Old Trafford three games ago, uh, based on points per game under Unai Emery, they were a Champions League caliber team. They would have been they would have been third in the league. So, you know, that that type of turnaround is immense. And they've been very good away from home under Emery, though they did lose their last two away from home. And we'll hopefully be able to make it three away defeats on the bounce for them. Get through that one. And all the pressure then is off us. We go to Southampton last day of the season knowing we've done everything we can do. We'll go there and we'll beat them. We've done everything we can do. Now it's up to Newcastle and United and, and let's see if they're bottle holes. And, I'm I'm fairly sure it's not going to. And I saw a tweet there from um is it Michael Cayley? Uh the status no Michael Goodwin 
Uh, Liverpool are now up to a 37% chance of a top four finish based on whatever algorithm it is that they use. So, you know, three or four weeks ago, that was probably a a 3% chance. So it does just show how much we've put in and, and, you know, what more we, we, we still have to put in. But I, I, I'm, I'm fancying our chances a little bit more. I really am. And if, look, if we don't get it, at least, at least we can't have any gripes. They, they gave it all they had at the end of the season. What caused us was the early part portion of the season up until that point. Well, I say early, it was 28 games or whatever it was, but you know, 29 games. <laughs> that's, that's the, that's the issue. We just, we were so poor for so long, but now we're showing what we can be. And, if you look at it over the last few months, we've been we've been better than Arsenal. We're going to end the season in better form than Arsenal. If we finish fourth and they finish second, they can say they had a better season than us. But like, show us your medals on the year, lads. And defensively, they've conceded the same number of goals as us. I think more or less, might be one in the difference. Uh, forty forty two to forty two. They've just scored a few more goals than us, but you know we we're confident that next season Diaz will you know will be back to full Diaz power. He won't miss five months. Hopefully Jota doesn't miss six months or however long that was. Uh, Cody will have a full season. Darwin will be fully adapted. So we have more goals in this squad. They're maxing what they have, and really and truly, like they they. All they've done is bottle a title race. You know, we, we've we'll have had the same level of season in the record books. We both got top four. That's the only trophy we have to celebrate. And unlike Arsenal under Wenger, we won't celebrate it as a trophy. Indeed. Well, that's Jesus, man. You've, you've got me head turned around here. Uh, in terms of podcasts and your column, the usuals, yes. Yes, Colin will be out Wednesday. Uh, it's an ode to Virgil and uh, a warning that people choosing to write him off are going to, I believe, look very, very foolish next season. And uh, podcast-wise, yeah, the usual two-footed every day, daily read every day. There'll be a couple of scouteds with Carl. The Villa one will be funny because Carl absolutely despises Unai Emery. And I'm going to spend the entire hour lauding Unai Emery and asking Carl, if Klopp were to leave, should Emery be the choice to come in? Not in any way serious. I'm letting everybody listening now know that it won't be in any way serious. But I'm going to put the question to Carl just to see if his brain explodes. And uh, yeah. yeah, I think there'll be a fight fever this week as well because we've got the big Katie Taylor fight coming up. And um, yeah, we're, we're hoping to get a, a buzz together as well. So There'll be there'll be lots and lots to listen to. Fantastic! Yeah, you do that to me with Simeone. That's my the equivalent. Uh, so uh, I, I can relate to poor Carl suffering in this uh, situation. Uh, yeah, w- w- speaking of um, pods coming up, myself and Young Davis are going to be doing a transfer pod tomorrow night. Me and Jan are going on Thursday. Uh, next raw for the Villa game. I think Harry is yourself hosting. Am I right? Yeah, that's the plan, yeah. That's the plan. And if Harry so can't, it'll, it'll be Guy. Harry and Guy. And producer then, Guy. Uh, producer Guy. So the, 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 what I'm hinting at there is that I will not be back for that one, uh, <laughs> but I'll be back for Southampton. So thanks to whoever does step in while I'm over crying 
uh, on the cop um, on Bobby's last home match uh, and uh, I look forward to talking about that and hopefully it'll be two wins and as Dave says maybe uh, we can uh, look forward to something potentially positive coming at the very tail end of this very weird and mostly awful season I, I have been Trev Denny that was Dave Hendrick and Harry Sethi this is Raw and we'll see you next week we hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.